right, if you're hearing that music, you know what time it is. You know what time it is. We both know what time it is, yes. but do our babblers know what time it is? I hope so. I think they do. My name is Raul. And I'm Cody. And we are the Cycle Babble, the real Cycle Babble podcast. We are. We are back, season two, episode two today, talking about childhood anxiety. We are, and I, and I will say I need to issue an apology. So, uh, last episode was imposter syndrome. Check that out if you haven't yet. Um, definitely feeling that pretty hard right now because we are re-recording this episode because I somehow managed to delete, remove, hide, whatever happened. I lost our recording of this episode. So now we are back. Imposter syndrome in full drive to try this again. All I'm hearing is that we're get to redo this bigger, faster, stronger, like the $6 million yeah. man. Yeah. Why do we fall off the horse? Or why do we fall Bruce? Why do we fall Bruce? I'm sorry. So we can learn, so we can learn that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay, let's do it again. Let's do it again. Okay. Take two. Okay. Why do we fall Bruce? So we can learn how to pick ourselves back up. That's deep. Yeah, babblers, take that take that one home That's with you today. Cut. That's Thomas Wayne from... That is from Batman Begins, right? The first one. The Chris Nolan version. Yes. Yeah. Good movie. Great movie. I wonder if Bruce Wayne had a lot of childhood anxiety. I, I would assume he would. Uh, he, Actually, no. It was probably more PTSD. Yeah, but, he had some trauma. Yeah, there's I think we'll, trauma. We, we'll definitely do an episode, maybe about Batman and... <clears throat> some trauma but some more I love Batman so you know I'm always down for anything Batman yeah, yeah. so childhood anxiety mm-hmm. seems like a pretty broad category so what, what are you thinking yeah well you know when I was thinking about episode ideas um, I was doing a little bit of research and I thought about well the first thing I thought about was just that you know anxiety is really common and um, I think sometimes misdiagnosed or not recognized mm-hmm. You know, when I was a kid, it was definitely never diagnosed. I think people knew I was anxious, but they didn't know why. Yeah. They called me more of like, oh, you're just being emotional. Yeah, or it's like, it's just ADHD. Right, or it's, 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 been, it's been something, right? Because you're presenting really, you're pretty, it looks different. It looks, yeah. it can look, anxiety can look a lot of different ways. Um, so that might be misdiagnosed as maybe something else, ADHD or something else, right? Um, but it's really common. As a matter of fact, so a lot of the research that I'm picking up and we're going to talk about today, I actually pulled from the Anxiety and Depression Association of America. Um, It's ADAA.org. If you get a chance, they've got a ton of fantastic resources. Again, we're not... We're not going to say, like, hey, we're coming up with all this. You know, we just do yeah. a little bit of research. We're just trying to pull some things out that we're seeing that we recognize as valuable resources and just kind of talk about them, you know? Yeah. So, ADAA.org, you're welcome. Yeah. Yeah, I'll definitely say, like... Just as a, a pause here and dip out of the topic for a second, like I think our goal in this podcast, like the all the research we do is is translational. Like totally, I think that's the ultimate goal of science. No matter what the field you're in, is to give that information to the public so that they can understand it and do something with it. Yeah. So make it I useful, think, right? If it's not practical, it's yeah. not useful. Yeah, what's what's, what's the, the point? point? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think for us, like. We know things. We're experts in some things, and we're ex- not experts in other things. We're and emerging experts. Yeah, like we're trying to just... Our goal is to connect our babblers to the information, the resources, the, the, the study, the research, whatever it is, so that you all can be more informed and maybe learn some things about yourselves yeah. along the way. So, tangent, off the soapbox. I think it's really appropriate, though, because, I mean, today we are talking about you know childhood anxiety, but... Just in case you didn't know, and I'm sure you didn't, but did you know that an estimated 264 million people worldwide have an anxiety disorder? That's a lot of people. It's a lot of people. It really is. And I mean, it's not like anxiety just manifests one day, like you wake up, you're like, oh, I've got anxiety today. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of things that can cause that. So, um... Yeah, so I, I... Whenever you mention that, it makes me think too, like... I feel like in, in maybe at least in Western culture, there's like a tendency to say, oh, you know, like, like I, I just I have this anxiety or, you know, I'm just so OCD because I have to have my house really clean. So we kind of like take away the, the pathology of a disorder and it's just kind of like a becomes part of like the nomenclature, just saying things without really thinking. 
anxiety or anxious versus an anxiety disorder. Right. So right. when you say like anxiety, what is, what does that look like? Well, you know, it's funny you say that. I'm glad you asked that because anxiety is actually, you know, it's really normal to have like anxiety or be anxious. You know, um, anxiety can be a really good thing. You know, mm-hmm. anxiety is the thing that gets us to meet deadlines or to, um, you know, game time bottom of the ninth yeah. to really perform and see if you can perform to that, you know. And that clutch it, moment. It, yeah, as yeah. opposed to like, oh, I'm just going to strike out, you know. It's like, it gives you that thing. So you want anxiety. Anxiety is actually not that bad. Yeah. It's when the anxiety becomes so excessive that it debilitates you from completing an objective or a goal, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of ta- anxiety that I would want to talk about today that we're going to talk about yeah. today more, that kind of, right? Yeah. Um, then, you know, the difficult thing about anxiety, though, too, especially in children, is that anxiety is an internalizing disorder by that means you know you can't see anxiety you know right. you know when we're looking at kids and we're working we do Cody and I do a lot of work with bullying research um, if you didn't know so when we go into our sister kids we look at you know a lot of internalizing disorders and by self-report mind you but you know it's hard to measure that part as opposed to an externalizing uh, disorder or externalizing yeah. behavior where it'd be like a lot of physical yeah punching. you can see a kid punch another kid right right <laughs> yeah but when it comes to this, like, how do you how do you really rate, you know, and how yeah. do you really identify some of those things yeah. um, that would be considered, you know, anxiety symptoms or symptoms of anxiety? Yeah, and it, it makes me think too, like, to put on my evolutionary hat here. Um, you know, it's not, it's a lot like flight, fright, freeze, yeah. where it is. Like you said, now it's a little bit different because, you know, we're top of the food chain, not fending for our lives out in the savanna. So it looks a little bit different now, but anxiety is an important adaptive response to things that, like, back in the day could kill you or are a risk to your life where you need to be motivated and moved to act in a way to protect yourself. Yeah. Um, there was a, a friend of the show, Dr. Matt Gormley, who will be featured on an episode coming up soon. Yeah, so, I'm really excited about that. Yeah, so uh, check that out whenever it, it comes up down the road here. Uh, he has a really cool analogy that he used when he was working in kind of a, an integrated care setting for how to explain anxiety to, to kids. So his kind of setup here is to talk about... Um, let's see, we'll, we'll, we'll just walk through this, see what our, how our babblers experience this. So I want you to imagine you're in a room by yourself, and in the corner of the room is a bear. I'm talking big, grizzly bear, polar bear, whatever kind of bear you're used to. Maybe not used to, but whatever bear you can imagine. Where? What part of the U.S. <laughs> yeah, are you in? Yeah, who knows? Yeah. The bears of your area. Um, <laughs> but, it's a, but it's a scary bear. <laughs> it's a scary it's bear. It's a really scary so, bear. There's a scary bear in the a scare corner. Scare bear. Scare bear. Oh, yeah. yeah. I like I like what you did there. I think we should make like a scare bear shirt now. Yeah. Anyways, this is totally separate. <laughs> so keep going. Okay, so when you imagine that bear in the corner, what what's going through your mind? What are you thinking? What are you feeling right now? It's going to eat me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to get me. It's going to tear me to shreds. It can smell everything. It yeah. can smell the fear on me. Yeah, which I think is a, a very logical, very rational response. Like, mm-hmm. you're fearing for your life because yeah. there's this thing, that scare bear, that is threatening you. So what are you going to do? Well, that's the hard part. I mean, I was in Boy Scouts back in the day. Never made it to Eagle. Uh-huh. But, I mean, there's a whole thing like, you know, if there's a bear there, you make a lot of noise. Yeah. Or the other thing is you crawl into the fetal position. So then they're two very different responses. Those are very different, yeah. Yeah, do you make a lot of noise and you're active or just come and get you? Or do you, like, just draw, like, just hunch over and, you know, don't look intimidating and then it's just going to sniff you out and bounce? Yeah. I don't hope I ever have to be in that situation. Hide your food if you go camping. Yeah. Yeah, well, so I think either way, if it is that that fight, like, you're, you're going to do something to maybe uh, attack that scare bear or defend yourself or if it's flight where you're going to run away run out of that hypothetical room or even freeze or you get down in that fetal position and play dead like you're doing things to actively protect yourself okay so now when we talk about anxiety what happens is that bear is not there 
there's not a threat on your life the way there would be if there was a bear across the room growling at you, paws in the air, ready to go. Uh, so when we talk about anxiety and anxiety disorders, there is that same response, that same fight, flight, or freeze, that same tendency to, you know, you get the, the heart racing and, and the lungs pumping and, you know, your blood's racing, you're sweating, like you're very active and engaged in that moment, but there's not that threat to your life. So when that's not there, when there aren't things that you need to be in survival mode for, that's when we get into this area of anxiety disorders because then it's maladaptive because you don't need to be in that state of hyper-awareness and hyperactivity when there's not a threat on your life. Yeah, that's a great, I think that's a great analogy to have and to kind of use as we go into describing some, very briefly, some of the uh, anxiety disorders that are currently in the DSM-5 which is what, Cody? The DSM-5, for our babblers who do not know... Or are part of this, like, psychology Yes, field. yes. Uh, is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, which fifth is in edition. its fifth edition. Yep, yep. Uh, it is used by people in our field to uh, have different criteria for disorders to use as diagnosis for, you know, really fun insurance and billing purposes and to yeah. uh, inform treatment planning, all that yeah, good stuff. Definitely. If you can name it, you can tame it. Yeah. Yeah. So let's go through some names. Yeah. So I guess the first one I'll go through is just general uh, generalized anxiety disorder. So um, if your child is diagnosed with uh, generalized anxiety disorder, um, they will typically worry excessively about a variety of things. It could be grades, it could be family issues, relationships with peers. Um, performance in sports, just mm-hmm. a really overall, just kind of says, you know, it's going to be, it could be a lot of things that are contributing to the anxiety, right? Yeah. So children with a, a generalized anxiety disorder tend to be really hard on themselves and they really do strive for perfection. They yeah. want to be the, per, like, just the perfectionist to the T. So um, they may seek out constant approval or reassurance from others. You know, did I do good? How did I, how'd that look? Yeah. You, Always kind of like checking in with, mm-hmm. They're like the supervisor or the adult, the coach, whoever it is, yep. always checking in for that feedback. Um, another is panic disorder. So it's a little bit different than generalized anxiety disorder. Um, so panic disorder is diagnosed according to the DSM-5. If your child suffers at least two unexpected panic or anxiety attacks, so kind of that, that feeling of if there was a bear in the room, but there's really not a bear. Um, and if those panic attacks happen in succession within at least uh, a month. So we're looking at a very specific small window of time and at least two of those anxiety attacks to be considered a panic disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, next one we'll go through is just separation anxiety disorder. And this one's really common for children between the ages of 18 months and three years old. Um, so typically we see this when um, maybe a parent or a caregiver leaves the room or goes out of sight um, children can usually be distracted and this is pretty mm-hmm. normal but it's yeah. when it's really excessive when they just can't um, really calm down right yeah and even when like that parent comes back the child's still not able to get themselves back to that that baseline normal level of functioning. Yeah, with separation anxiety disorder, I mean, you can really expect this to be. It's pretty common to happen like early on, mm-hmm. you know, especially if it's like the first day of daycare and stuff. Um, but if your child uh, is slightly older and unable to leave you or family member, then that's when it becomes more of a of a problem, right? So yeah. it's, I mean, it's not just um, it's not just common for 18 to or 18 months to three years old, but it could go up a little bit older as well. So, yeah. yeah. Um, the next one here is social anxiety disorder, also called a social phobia sometimes. So, uh, phobia meaning fear. So, if it's a social phobia, obviously, a social anxiety disorder is the very, very intense fear of any social situation or performance situation. Um, so for kids, that might look like talking in front of the class, giving a presentation, talking to you know, maybe a peer or a stranger that they, they don't know or don't have a relationship with. And you know, I think this is a good time to bring up 
when we talk about social anxiety disorder, it has to be impairing to the the domain of social functioning. So the the anxiety is so bad that it negatively impacts their school performance because they can't give the presentation. They can't work with a partner in a group project. That anxiety is so bad that it, it prohibits them from being a successful student. And so that's when we would look at social anxiety disorder and how that might inform treatment. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, the next one we're going to talk about is selective mutism. And selective mutism occurs um, when children who refuse to speak in situations where talking is expected or necessary. Um, to the point where basically it inhibits their ability to either <clears throat> participate in school or making friends. Um, so children suffering from selective mutism may stand motionless or, and expressionless, turn their heads, um, maybe do something like fidgeting with their hair, chew the hair, avoid eye contact, anything to really avoid a situation where they are expected to talk. Yeah. Um, and this is usually... <clears throat> Um, children who may experience selective mutism may be really talkative in certain um, instances. So maybe they're at home, they feel comfortable with their mom and their dad and maybe siblings or family members, but then when they are expected to go up and and participate or do something, then um, like in school, for instance, then they may just be completely quiet because it's a completely different, unfamiliar um, setting. Mm-hmm. So, and I think that that's got to be like really hard. I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm not a parent and neither are you so I think just um, imagining a child with selective mutism has to be hard on the parents because on the one hand you do see a child that at home is is functioning relatively normally where they're interacting with if they're siblings they're interacting they're talking they're engaged in play and then you take them out of that environment put them in a new environment and it's a 180. Yeah, and it, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning, too, in terms of, like, diagnosing, like, what what is the cause of that selective mutism? And, you know, the short answer is it could be anything. Yeah. You know, there could be a lot of things that contribute to, it. I think, any of these anxieties that we're talking about. Or, but, um, but, yeah, it's hard. It's hard yeah. to really kind of nail those down. Also, I mean, we do this all the time when we talk with parents, you know, um, you know, the way a, a child acts at home is going to be different than the way they act in the school. Yeah, got to consider all the different right. settings so, that they, they interact with. Yeah, so it's important to really talk about those and have everybody really on the same page or at least communicating between home and school and yeah. to see kind of what's working, what's not working and finding ways to replicate the things that are working in either yeah. Um, situation or environment. Uh, your your ecological framework is is definitely showing right now. I am very. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We can save that for for a separate episode. Uh, so, um, you know, I guess it it works out because I did social anxiety before. So now, specific phobias. This is um, a fun one because it's often used and, and referenced in pop culture, uh, a lot of horror movies use the idea of specific phobias things like arachnophobia mm-hmm. as a movie um i think even like cabin in the woods fear of spiders yeah yeah arachnophobia fear <laughs> of spiders if you do not know that if you don't know now you know uh so, so a specific phobia is a very intense and irrational fear of a specific object and irrational is the the key word here because a lot of common phobias could be like animals, storms, blood, like needles and injections, medical procedures, dental work, but it's irrational because there's not any sort of threat. Like you could, if you have a specific phobia, like let's roll with arachnophobia, seeing a spider across the room for most people, it, it's it's not a threat on their lives. They might notice it. They might not notice it. They might not even do anything about it. But someone who does have a fear of spiders, it's irrational because that spider for them is a threat on their lives or their livelihood. And it elicits that same anxious feeling mm-hmm. we talked about with the bear in the corner of the room. You know, it's funny. I'll- because since we're redoing this episode, last time when we recorded, I didn't actually didn't talk about 
my I, I talked about my childhood anxiety. I was very anxious as a child about a bunch of stuff, but in terms of specific phobias, you don't even know this, but I was incredibly like I was just terrified of the dark. Like I was so scared. Yeah. And um, I would avoid it at all costs. You know. I, I mean, and you know, it's not like uncommon. I mean, you know, kids have night lights and stuff, and but I just couldn't do it. And I remember my uh, my mom was married to my stepdad at the time, and. Um, my stepdad, I guess, got fed up with it. I don't know exactly the whole story around this. I just remember the experience of how he attempted to get me over my fear of the dark. And that was by... He walked in a bathroom with me and just turned off the light. And I remember screaming, like, yeah. just bloody fucking murder. Like, I was terrified. Yeah. And I still remember to this day just being there and just being like what's gonna get me you know and yeah. like what's gonna happen i can't see anything and and he was with me i mean i was safe the whole time i mean obviously but yeah but that's but just, like the irrational yeah that, and i was just like i remember i was screaming bloody murder yeah. i remember screaming so loud and you know when you're like really young like before you go through puberty you have a really high-pitched voice so yeah. i mean i can still kind of hear myself scream as i go through the story but like i was so terrified and I mean nothing was gonna happen to me yeah. but and I tell you the truth like it didn't really work I don't yeah. think that I mean it's kind of like exposure therapy yeah. right you know like exposure therapy there's a ton of research and it is you know indicated to be a successful treatment for anxiety mm-hmm. but it's called graduated exposure for a reason yeah that so was that was a tossing you into the deep yeah. end is like, and, a good idea. and a funny thing too is I was really terrified of swimming and I didn't know how to swim so I always had floaties on until I was a pretty decent age my brother was always like the really good swimmer in the family and my stepdad who's really good at just throwing me at shit actually <laughs> about it so but he uh, yeah that was his MO just yeah but he, he I remember when he was teaching me to swim we had a pool in the backyard and um, the way he taught me how to swim was he just got me and threw me as high as he could and threw me into the deep end of the water and sink or swim I think he knew I could swim because I had performed the, like, the movements and stuff and um, later on I was captain of the swim team I guess in that case yeah, it worked out yeah maybe. but it's still like these are things graduated right yeah. or finding ways to and maybe that's something when we go into more of like the you know the ways to kind of address these issues you know yeah no, because I mean, I got called a lot of names as a kid, you know, for being emotional, for being crying, like, oh, you're such a pussy, or, you know, quit crying, get toughen up, you know, yeah. living in that really machismo yes. culture. Yeah. Right? Kind of that thing I'm going to be looking at for my dissertation. Yes. But yeah, there's a, I think we have this really, really harmful <clears throat> rhetoric that we talk about when we talk about anxiety in kids, especially males, and being like, you gotta be tough as nails. You gotta, you know, yeah, don't you gotta, show you gotta compartmentalize that shit. Yeah, just just hide it all under the surface. Way right? down yeah. side. and then we don't address it. So that when you get older, when it manifests into something different, like alcoholism or something else, I don't know. Yeah. Then you're like, whoa, how do I deal with this? And we can do that at a younger age, which is a big reason why I actually really want to do this yeah. episode. Yeah, and I think that's that gets at why. I mean, obviously, for our babblers who don't know, like, our our lives and our careers are dedicated to working with children, youth, young adults, and I think that's a, a big thing for me is knowing that, I mean, and this is our opinion, and feel free to disagree in the comments, mm-hmm. but, like, you have the most ability to have a profound impact when you're working with a child, and knowing that, like... The work you do with a child, if it's in a, a therapeutic setting, like the experiences we've had, that's that's a, a lasting, lifelong experience that it really is truly alters the the trajectory of their life. And so I know for me, one of the main reasons that I got into this world is wanting to be kind of that that resource and that support and that help that I felt like I needed as a child. That. I get a lot of like my, my buckets filled by helping kids who look like me those anxious kids Definitely. I think is my that's my my specialty my wheelhouse like I work best with those kids yeah no it's definitely being able to you know and not that every kid has we see we know and we identify with it but it comes from a place of understanding being like it's okay yeah when the world's telling us not okay and you need to act a certain way because for for whatever reason mm-hmm. it's okay to be yourself and these are things that you know what you don't necessarily need to change but it's helpful to learn how to adapt 
when you do feel a certain way or when you do feel like you're not your best you or you you know it's so excessive where you can't be the person you want to be and you know you can be when you're not less way you know yeah it's yeah, so absolutely. It, and and it's similar to to kind of right on picking up the uh, piggybacking off of you i i feel the same way i mean i love working with kids and young adults you know it took me so many years to figure out how to operate in the things and kind of like conceptualize my why I am the way I am but I had a lot of love and support from various family members and friends and teaching experiences as a preschool teacher out in Seattle where I'm just like hey these are some skills that really work for me this might work for you it might not but it's okay as long as you keep trying and and even just you know the entry into therapy has such a stigma to it mm-hmm. and you know, when I've talked to some youth recently too, where they're just like, "Yeah, well, you know, I think I need therapy." I'm like, "Yeah, that's no problem, actually." You know, talking to a therapist is going to be kind of like talking to me right now. It's going to be very similar. You know, we're yeah. just going to talk about you. We're going to help process some of the things you're feeling and helping you find ways to get back to where you want to operate. Yeah. And I mean, it kind of feels good to be able to feel heard, and and it's all about you, and you don't have to worry about anything else. Yeah. You know, so what we do is important. Yeah. You know, yeah, I know. I had a, a similar experience recently. Not in like a therapeutic type of setting, but there was uh, a kid I was talking to who you know, is very had a lot of anxiety, very clear from the get go, and uh, was bullied a lot at school, and just the combination of those adverse experiences and the anxiety that was kind of pre morbid to those experiences. He was just in a in a bad, pretty rough place, and he talked to me very openly about you know, feeling different and feeling weird. And I think I told him a lot of the things that I wish someone had told me that, you know, it's okay to be different. Being different is good. Being weird is good. Like it's, there's a certain point in your life where you realize that it's better to just be yourself and be genuine and live the life you want to live versus living your life the way that other people try to to make you live or that enforce certain cultural or societal values on you and so I think in a lot of ways that ends up being anxiety because you're in this weird place where these external forces are kind of putting the pressure on you to to act certain ways to talk and behave certain ways and it's fighting against like these internalized values that are different and if you don't get that support through therapy or through like mentorship or having adults in your life that are supportive it can end up as one of these disorders on our list that we're going through yeah no definitely and i was actually thinking about too how this episode came to be and i was at a bachelor party um a while ago about three weeks ago four weeks ago and i was talking to this kid not this kid but this other this, he's my age so this adult man yeah and he was talking about you know kind of how he came to recognize that he was an anxious child and i was like wow like his story is really interesting and i shared my story too it was like cool like we had a lot of like similar interests uh kind of scenarios but the main thing was that a it was never diagnosed and it was never recognized and it and it manifested in such a different way in his adult life that he's had to really try to find ways to kind of work through his anxiety mm-hmm. and and find new strategies to do it so i think it was a really great conversation i was really happy he was really open with it and and now he's got a series of things that he's doing to help him cope through his adult anxiety right yeah. but yeah it's crazy huh. I'm going to keep on going with... We have two more, just we want to highlight real fast, and yeah. then we can... I think you have some questions. Too, I do, yeah. I've got, yeah. I've got... I want to pick your brain a little bit more. Yeah, we can We can go through them together, because I'm not an expert. <laughs> but I'm an emerging expert, and so are you. I think you might have some ideas, too. Yeah. Uh, so next one we're going to go through is obsessive-compulsive disorder, um, OCD, as is otherwise commonly referred to. Um, it's characterized by unwanted and intrusive thoughts or obsessions and feeling compelled to repeatedly perform rituals and routines uh, to try and ease anxiety. Um, it's uh, so, Some rituals I think about are like excessive washing of hands or maybe light switching or tying yeah. of shoes. Those are really just easy examples. Yeah. There's, I'm sure there's a lot more other things that you have to do. I was thinking about... Um, is it as good as it gets? Jack Nicholson's character. 
Where he's always watching. When I it. think about OCD, I always think about Aviator. I've never seen that, but that's the oh. one with um, that's that's. Is that a Scorsese film? It is, and it's because Leo. it's DiCaprio. Yeah, because if it's Leo, it's gonna yeah. be yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so in that, like, he, so I was like, wait, if you tell me, uh, tell me more about it. Has a who, who is he playing? Is it Howard Hughes or something? Or oh gosh, I th- I'm gonna look it up right now. You yeah, keep, you keep talking about. So it. in the movie, he has uh, a very very clear example of OCD because he has an obsession with cleanliness. So he. Uh, avoids germs and has a lot of obsessive thoughts about germs and being sick and like what exposure on his skin with germs can lead to so those are those obsessions and then he has a very strict routine those compulsions like you just mentioned of hand washing and not not to say like if you are exposed to germs hand washing is bad like uh, you know wife of the show is a nurse so she washes her hands like i don't know a lot every time she works uh but that wouldn't be considered an an ocd type of situation because in that case like it is rational like you are exposed to a sick patient you need to wash your hands but for him for dicaprio in aviator he washes his hands so much that he starts to bleed his skin and fingers start cracking it it's very irrational it is disrupting to his life and his functioning and the thoughts that he have are so intrusive that he can't stop himself from hand washing even though he really doesn't need to because he's not exposed to germs that would be threatening his life and i looked it up and it is actually howard hughes oh yeah uh, there you go well i don't know if you know this but cody and i have a uh trivia team that we, we do every thursday yes and we're pretty decent especially when it comes to movie trivia yeah. and you know a lot of cooking stuff you know a lot of stuff just general stuff yeah i'd say like like general trivia knowledge i feel like right. i'm sitting back and if it's like a movie obscure movie reference or a movie title or music music or yeah. or a tv show then I got a decent chance yeah. of getting it. Yeah, you're you're the pop culture guru. Yeah, and you're and you're just the guru of everything else. Yeah, cooking for sure. But yeah, it was Howard it's, it's Hughes. A, it's a good good combination. Yeah, and it says he was. Uh, Do you know how he he gained his OCD? It's actually documented. Oh no, I don't know. Later in life, he became known for his eccentric behavior and reclusive lifestyle, oddities that were caused in part by a worrying obsessive compulsive disorder. Hey, hey. Chronic pain from a near. Fatal plane crash and increasing. Oh, uh, I feel like that's in the movie. Yeah. Hopefully, so. it's been a while since I've seen it. So yeah, Howard Hughes. Yeah. Um, in terms of children, though, um, most children with OCD are diagnosed around the age of ten, and although the disorder can strike children as young as two or three, um, boys are more likely to develop OCD before puberty. Well, girls tend to develop during adolescence. Hmm. Yeah. And that's actually, I think, a good point, too. You know, like, a lot of these words we're talking about um, are going to be diagnosed differently. I think that's actually what might be one of your questions. But they're going to be diagnosed differently um, depending on age, gender, you know, socioeconomic. So a lot of factors A to lot consider. of factors that come into these things. So yeah. um, I'll, I'll leave it at that because I think one of your questions is yeah. on that, right? Yeah, and I will say, too, like, I think a big part that... I want to make sure a babbler's takeaway too is the DSM-5 and its current version is not like WebMD where you have a, a list of symptoms and you go through and you check the boxes and what then is it, this a rash then it tells you that like you have some rare form of a, an infectious disease and you're okay. gonna die in seven days yeah yeah, yeah. so is the worst. yeah it is yeah if you have an anxiety disorder Stay away from WebMD. Go to your primary care physician. Yeah. Yeah. That's our... our uh, Disclaimer. Disclaimer for this yeah. episode. Yeah. But what the DSM-5 does really well is <laughs> it is very cautious in saying there are lots and lots of factors that you need to consider as a, as, as a psychologist when you are diagnosing this disorder, as a therapist when you're treatment planning... Like, it's not as simple as check these symptoms on this box and and then that's what it is. It it is so much more complex, which is why we spend so much time in our lives as a grad student. We'll be really happy with you right now saying that. Hopefully. Shout out to 
friend of the show, Dr. Ba- Scott Napolitano. Babbler Napolitano. Yeah. Maybe we'll convince him to be on an episode. Oh, I'm going to get him for sure yeah. soon. Well, then the, the last one to go over, which is very appropriate because we yeah. started here, is PTSD with Bruce Wayne. So PTSD, as I'm sure most of our babblers know, is post-traumatic stress disorder. And the, the key takeaway here is... Uh, PTSD occurs when there is some type of trauma, either witnessing, experiencing the trauma directly, some type of life-threatening event, whatever that trauma may be. So that occurs. After that trauma, there is some type of like intense fear, anxiety, emotional disturbance, irritability related back to that trauma that you have experienced. So for, for a lot of children, like, it's normal to be afraid of, like, like you said, like, the dark or afraid of clowns or strangers, like, whatever it may be. But with PTSD, there has to be the presence of some type of traumatic event that you can readily identify as the, the, the therapist or the psychologist in that situation. Yeah, in the case of Bruce Wayne, his parents were murdered in front of him. Yeah, like, that is a very clear example of a traumatic event that then leads to this sort of sort of domino effect that impacts behavior and cognition, uh, that impacts functioning in, in like social settings, in family settings, whatever it may be. Um, so PTSD obviously has a, a lot of attention for, I feel like more for adults, but within childhood for youth and young adults, PTSD does come up a lot. Um, so I think, you know, check out the DSM-5, the resources that Raul mentioned earlier to learn a little bit more about PTSD for uh, for youth, youth and young adults. The youths. The youths. The youths. My cousin Vinny, anybody? <laughs> I think I said that last episode. Um, great. Well, yeah. So, said, so now that we've identified it, now that we've named it, let's talk about ways maybe we can tame it, or you want to ask your questions? Yeah. Yeah, so one question I have is... You know, I don't know, for our, for our babblers out there, we obviously have a, a diverse listenership, which is awesome and something that we are very proud of. So for our babblers out there who are parents, what can parents do if they suspect that their child might be experiencing some anxiety or does have uh, potentially a, a diagnosed anxiety disorder? What can parents do? Yeah, I think off, I mean, off the top of my head that I can think of is, one, I think reassure them that everything's going to be okay, you know, making sure that they feel safe is going to be a really crucial component, you know, that they're there to take care of them to the best of their, you know, um, ability. Again, identifying and recognizing that this is context dependent. Sometimes, you know, if it's like a natural disaster or something, then, you know, really being upfront with them about what they need to do. Um, one thing that I've heard I, I think was really good advice is, you know, really be honest with them and and answer their questions. Yeah. But don't provide too much more information that they may not need to know or that might heighten their anxiety. Yeah. Yeah, like you want to you wanna maintain those open lines of communication. I think re- regardless if anxiety is a concern or not, just as a parent speaking from someone who has uh, zero parenting experience, but has read a lot of parenting-related research, open lines of communication are very important. You know, it's something I was thinking about, too. It's it's summertime right now. Summertime looks very different for the, the entire country's worth of youth who are in school right now. So one thing that I, I see a lot, I, I had a, we'll call it, a, I was a manny, a male nanny recently for um, some some youths that were highly 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 involved in a lot of things and I just imagine that for 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 a child who does have a lot of anxiety or is diagnosed with an anxiety disorder involvement in a lot of activities can often be contraindicated and actually make the anxiety worse so when it's times like this where we're we're at right now in the summer months, don't be afraid to 
really slow down and kind of pare back the activities, the camps. You know, I think there's a tendency to to want to have your kids involved in all of these things so that they're they're active and they're busy and they're tired at the end of the day, but what ends up happening is when you're changing these routines, changing the schedules, having these kids interfacing with new environments, new situations and new people, it just exacerbates that anxiety that's already there and you're really doing potentially doing more more harm than good and it's it's coming from a good place and i know a lot of parents who want their kids in lots of camps and activities and all these things like it's coming from a really good place but just think critically about how those experiences might be impacting your child then i think also you know as a as a child who experiences experienced a lot of anxiety and as a an adult now who also has carried that forward like routines are so yeah, important I was like, just about to say that like yeah. eating routines sleeping like try and maintain mm-hmm. as much consistency especially again during those summer months where it looks a lot different than when you're in the school year like consistency is key yeah you know be flexible you know you definitely be flexible and things change from day to day but if you can find a way of maintaining that routine even if it's creating an agenda for the day that could be routine thing hey here's what you have to expect for today here's what today's going to look like and then you know kind of have an idea of what's going to happen today you know where that in their day um you know one of my biggest pet peeves is when i hear people say and i've heard it more than once in different aspects but you know like this is the real world when they get older yeah. you know they're gonna have to really find a way to manage their stuff so this is how we're just gonna give it to them now straight fucking boomers it's <laughs> it is mostly from boomers <laughs> but it's kind of like no like that's such a backwards way of thinking you know if you see something then why would you not find a way to fucking address it sorry for the cussing but like it's like it's so it drives me nuts. It drives it is, me absolutely it's nuts. For sure. You know, how do you not help someone who needs it, who you've clearly identified there's something going on? And you know what? And I think saying that, I think a lot of it's because the people who are put in charge of help sometimes don't have the resources mm-hmm. or don't know how to help. So the best thing is to do like, like you know, just stick with it and, and buck up, bucko. You're yeah. going to you're gonna have rub to some dirt on it, rub some dirt chin and up, get, and get yeah. back in there. And you know what? It's funny because I think there are some benefits to that too and I mean it's it's complex but yeah. like if you there's still a way you can tell someone you know what we're gonna get tough we're gonna be through this but I'm gonna be there to support you throughout the way mm-hmm. I mean what's the harm in that you know yeah. if there's if there's a multiple ways to choose different things and I think the supportive way is probably the better way to go about it but yeah. you know paying attention to your children's feeling your child's feelings and staying calm and really find a way to work through it I think can be really good yeah. and I think that's something that we need to remind our parents sometimes like it's okay you know yeah. like you know it can be it can be helpful, you know. Yeah. All right. So I've got I've got two more thoughts on this that that I want to make sure we we share here. Uh, so one is something that I I do a lot in in the work that I've done up to this point is I really like to talk about coping and framing it as a skill. So when you frame coping as a skill, it translates to a lot of people as like this is something that takes practice it takes time it's a developmental process you have to really devote yourself time and effort to getting better at coping and that's something that i've experienced just just as an adult that i know is hard for children to conceptualize if you don't frame it as a skill so we can maybe go into a little bit later here uh different kind of coping strategies or coping skills for people, for our babblers out there that are experiencing anxiety. But I think for parents here, it's really important to not only teach, but also reinforce the use of coping skills. So if you have a child that is using a a coping strategy, if they're in some type of therapy, or even if you've just like picked something up along the way, it's a skill. And as a skill, it's only going to become more likely to be used if it's reinforced. Mm -hmm. So find ways to reward your child for using coping strategies. Make it so that they are even more motivated to use that strategy 
because it does take time and it does take practice and and reinforcement can be as simple as like hey great job or yeah. when when they when they do maybe you're teaching you're working on a skill like if something happens and you te- work through it you teach them a skill they use it like hey great job you did that and then process that moment with them hey how was that you know did that work it was what was it would you yeah. change anything about that and then you can modify it you know it doesn't have to necessarily be like a tangible reinforcement word yeah like a like a sticker try a lot of yeah. people pick up stickers and stuff and that's fine if you want to do that yeah like whatever you know whatever works but but reinforcing can definitely be a really big thing and yeah it can be reinforcing come in a lot of different ways yeah whatever works for your family um so one question i have for you to round us out here actually one thing we didn't talk yes. about that too and i was Ooh. thinking about it it was actually it actually is kind of a big deal but like kind of the signs of anxiety yeah because okay, we, talk, yeah. we, we talked about the anxiety disorders that we kind of go through and kind of things but like how do you know when your child is being anxious yeah you know, what are some of those things that we would see, you know? And I mean, one of the main things we see, we talked about, I think, was avoidance of activities, mm-hmm. you know? But other things you can do is maybe, you know, changes in their sleeping and their eating, their energy, maybe they're complaining about certain things, somatic yeah. things, too. So, yeah. I don't think well, I know there's things, too, like... Uh, so, so there's a, a, a concept or a term called anhedonia, mm-hmm. which is when you just... It's more for depression, but when you just can't or can no longer achieve a level of of satisfaction or pleasure from an activity that previously was pleasurable. So if you have a child who, like, I'll use myself as an example for some anxiety I've experienced where uh, I I was an athlete, I was a soccer player my whole life. Um, Cody played on the under We'll we'll cover that later, but... Um, so like anhedonia would come into play if you have a child who like we'll use soccer as an example was a soccer player loved going to practices loved going to games who now no longer is enjoying those things to the same level gotcha so first off like that's a that's a big red flag that something's going on and it might indicate that like we might need to dive into this a little bit. Did you experience that? More. Yeah, I did. Uh, when I was in college, I had a, okay. a pretty serious traumatic injury that changed the way I approached the game. Approached the game, and yeah. I think it's it's different because I was at that point like Young eight, eighteen years old. Yeah. But even that. yeah, even still, like yeah. I think. A lot of parents are very keyed into their child's interests mm-hmm. and those changes that go on. And yeah, that's a great point. Be yeah. aware of how those might change. Yeah, yeah. Uh, enjoy pleasures that they they enjoyed previously, and then something changes. You know what's going on. Yeah. Um, if they're younger, maybe you might see some sort of explosive outbursts around mm-hmm. it. Like maybe to the point where like, whoa, where's this coming from? This has never happened before. Or maybe it's really common. It doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, um, that might be a sign too. Um, yeah. I feel like a lot with, especially with younger children who don't have like the, the like cognitive ability right, or the verbal, yeah, to, to like yeah. verbalize what they're experiencing. You see a lot of like somatic complaints, like headaches, stomach aches. They just don't feel good. Mm-hmm. Uh, have difficulty focusing, maybe a yeah. little fidgety. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. So I think when those sort of things start popping up, I just you know like be be alert to it. And, you know, think about how, you know, whatever your child is going through, how those experiences might inform, I think, beyond what might just be like, oh, a a test or a hard year in school. Gotcha. There might be more going on. Yep, yep. Also, Cody played on the under 14. (laughs) Was it under 14? Well, well, okay. Just, okay. just tell the people with no, the no, imposter wait, syndrome. Wait, yeah, yes. Tell the babblers about you. Okay, so I want us to end with something I that... I can't believe you're not going to say it. No. Mm-hmm. All right, you'll just have to wait for another episode. Yeah. I might get it out of him. Um, <laughs> so we, we've covered the anxiety disorders. We've covered how you can figure out what anxiety looks like. We've covered a lot but the last thing I want to go through is how do we cope with anxiety what do you do what would you recommend kids do what would you recommend parents do of kids who are anxious 
what do we want to leave our babblers with that they can take home and really put into action? Um, I think that's probably a great way to end this. I think the first thing, I mean, speaking ex- like explicitly from my experience and from kind of what I've had, I think recognizing and really not necessarily normalizing it but just recognizing that hey this is happening and yeah you're going through this and And break down that stigma a little bit a little bit just being like hey it's going to be okay you know that reassurance i think the reassurance can go really a long way and the fact that or you know i'm going to be with you till the end whether you and that can go from anywhere that can be from a parent that can be from you know a therapist it can be from a school teacher or a caregiver Um, just be like I'm with you and you know you're okay you know I think that's probably the first place to start from and then really listening what's going on you know ask questions you know what well what is it you know and and before you interject listen to the whole story listen to what's going on what's making you what why are you feeling the way you're feeling you don't have to say why are you anxious you don't have to use that language yeah just what's happening around you and then because you know you can assess that from you know, as they're talking, yeah. but let them get their whole story out before you interject. And be like, oh well, that's not a big deal. You know, yeah. oh well, this yeah, is the don't, way you don't can put do your it. own like values in your yeah. own judgments. Yeah, on I that. think yeah. that's probably the worst thing you can do because it really devalues and and limits kind of a what they're saying and 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 it kind of makes it seem like you're not really here and you just really give a suggestion because you're an expert and yeah. You know, it's not about us, it's about them. And part of it's really them just talking it through. Yeah. And I think if you talk it through with them, then, and you find ways of kind of guided discovery, it's yeah. just kind of a CBT technique that I like to use. But, uh, you know, if you get to it, then you might be able to find some ways of where they can help, like, you know, you guide them yeah. to where they can find the answers for themselves. Well, I think even, like, for, for our babblers out there who are potentially graduate students or therapists in training... I think something that I feel like has worked for me and given me just a lot of, like just a really strong foundation in the therapeutic work I've done is kids really desire just to be heard and to have that attention. And a lot of times when you have a child who experiences an anxiety disorder, it's often the case that their parents aren't giving them the attention they need that this is something that has plagued in their whole life that their parents have just learned to ignore or kind of like just just put down or not give it the the, really the, the attention and give it the validation it needs and so just being a therapist who's open and ready to start a dialogue with a child whether they're they're younger or if they're an adolescent who they're just give them an environment where they can talk and be open and honest and you will find that most of the time it will greatly greatly benefit whatever treatment plan whatever therapeutic outcomes and goals you have another thing i like to do too is as i start developing that treatment plan is i'm really upfront and i'm just saying you know what we're going to try a lot of things some things may work some things may not but there are literally thousands and thousands of interventions we can really do and you know what they work differently for different people Mm -hmm. so let's find out let's find out more about you yeah and then from there we can work and find a better treatment plan and find out what's going to work for you and we'll try those out you know, and it doesn't have to be anything too big. Start off small. If, if we're in session or if you're a teacher, we could try something that maybe a strategy is going to work because things will work differently in different environments, you know, from an ecological perspective. Yeah, yeah, you're showing it again. Yeah, there it is. It's coming, <laughs> he's doing it again. Peeking back out. Yeah, but but we're going to find out what works for you, and then we'll go with it, you know. But, at the, you know, again, kind of going back to that first thing I said, I'm here with you, and we're going to try different things, and, and we can talk about it. We can process yeah. it. I mean... Kind of, and that's why you, I think gradual exposure. Right? Yeah, yeah. Kind of like, well, let's figure out what's going on. Yeah, like that. Ther- the therapist is supposed to be that kind of secure base where you are that safety net where you can come back to this point and talk about things and process things. But then you also challenge your client or your patient to push themselves to to new experiences, yeah. to that exposure if it's yeah. uh, a graduated exposure type of treatment, and then when you push them to those to those new limits but also have that secure base where they can come back to and process it that's money right there that's yeah. golden and yeah. you know i think one thing that's really 
beneficial about anxiety and depression is that you know there's been a lot of research done on you know all types of anxiety and while we're still learning new things Mm -hmm. i think it's really helpful to go if you're parents just do a quick little google search and find out just, just don't go to WebMD just don't go to WebMD right <laughs> but I mean you know maybe go to accredited.org you know I, yeah. I'm on childmind.org right now they yeah. have some great suggestions and check out we're, we're going to share a lot of these resources on all the social medias so that our babblers out there can can get connected with them so yeah we, we, we've done the work up front to make sure make it easy you get you. connected to the goods yeah, I, yeah. And, I, and the way it should be right yeah no um, you know make it a little easier for you but, yeah, I mean, there's so much to go. I mean, I think this episode, this could probably be, like, a whole series. Oh, yeah. It could know? be its own podcast. Yeah. It I really, think it might, I think there might be. There has to be. Yeah. You know, maybe you could think of some podcasts. I'll look up some podcasts that are talk spe- uh, specifically about anxiety disorders. Yeah. Um, but this is just more of a taste. And, I mean, if you do have a kid or you work with a kid or you identify a kid who um, might have some sort of anxiety disorder, just chill with them listen yeah. to them hear the story they've got a story and and people just want to be heard I think so and I think if that's your foundation wherever you go from there it's going to work a lot better if you give them that space to, to be heard and be listened to yeah well I know we uh, need to also mention stickers <laughs> yeah I'm actually glad you brought that up so um we have a fun thing that we just did. Cody, I told Cody earlier when we came up, hey, send me a, send me a, what was that, a PNG? Yeah, yeah. Something. So uh, I I like, I would not consider myself a, a graphic design. designer. But you're pretty but good. We, I, I've put you, some You work. dabble. Yeah, I dabble. You dabble yeah. and you babble. I d- Ooh. All right. You're going to see that somewhere. Oh, yeah. And the Scare Bear. The Scare Bear is coming yeah. out. Yeah, so I... All of the the, the graphic scare bears dabble and babble, done. The the graphic design work that you have seen thus far from us is created by yours truly, which also now Cozy. includes a line of stickers. Yep. So we have stickers now um, that I was able to get from Sticker Mule. So thank you, Sticker Mule. You did a yeah. Shout not only out. Did, not only did you do a phenomenal job, and you're not you're not even paying me no, to say this. No, right, not a sponsor, you. but yeah. we're going to give you a sponsorship right now. Yeah, so not only did you put the stickers out for us, but you got them to me super fast. I did it like last week, and I yeah. already got them today. Like five-day delivery. Yeah, and that was business, business day too. Yeah. yeah, it was like, no, two, three-day business days. Yeah, it was I super mean, fast. quick turnaround. And the stickers look phenomenal. Yeah. So if you want a sticker, um, let us know. Yeah. We'll send it to you. Yeah, if you're like us and you have a laptop and you like stickers. They're perfect for laptops. Yeah, yeah, we we have a sticker for you. So whenever you hear this episode and you've made it to this point, share it. Yeah. Let us know you want a sticker and yeah. we will get it to you. And you can get to us on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook. Facebook. Just be like, yo, Cody Roll, we want that swag. Yeah. We will mail it to you. We will hand yeah. deliver it. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever it takes, we will get that sticker to you. And I, I only, I think I only got like 50 stickers because yeah. it's more like a test. And test it, it's going to go quick. We, we've already got a couple people putting, put their name in, yeah. getting on the wait list for those stickers. So, yeah. but we're also, I think I'm going to reorder some. And if you happen to be at APA conference in Chicago, yeah. Cody and I will actually be there and we will be handing them out. Yeah, yeah, we'll be there. And you can tell us what a wonderful job or horrible job, but wonderful job I'm hoping. Yeah, any feedback. will be greatly appreciated and it's going to be great. But yeah, yeah, we're starting to work on finding ways to get Cycle Babble out because we've realized over the past, if you listen to the Imposter Syndrome 1 episode, episode 2, season 1, or season 2, episode 1. Yes. Um, we said, you know, a lot of people have been asking about us. When are you going to be back on? So we're back, baby. We're back yeah, in the saddle. We're bringing it, bringing it season two. Yeah, so stay tuned for episode three to follow. If you are a fan of movies, plot twists, and surprise endings, that'll be there for you soon. I'm not, but you'll yeah. find that out if you listen. Yeah, find out why either you, you do like those or do not like yeah. those, those surprise endings. Um, as you know, you can find us... Anywhere you listen to podcasts, 
uh, you know, we're talking about iTunes, Apple Podcasts, I feel Google like Podcasts, one, Spotify. Spo- no, now that we're on Spotify, I feel really legit. Yeah. Because that's all I use. I use Spotify. Yeah. If you listen to any streaming service for music and or podcasts, we're on it. So What's, what's the website? Is it... So you, you can start by going to anchor.fm slash psychobabble or wherever you listen to podcasts, just look up psychobabble and find us and we will be there. Yeah, you can also, I actually don't want to notice or say this, you can also sponsor us if you really wanted to. Yeah, throw so us fine. some cheddar. Seriously, and seriously, it could be 99 cents. I think that's like the lowest one. Like throw the podcast 99 cents and that actually would go a long way. If all of our babblers did that, we can get more swag yeah just to give out t-shirts, t-shirts. with a scare bear with a scare bear oh we gotta we gotta get that scare bear yeah well we'll stay tuned for that um and dabble babble yeah we'll dabble babble we'll get the scare bear t-shirts yeah let us know if you want a sticker don't forget to like comment and subscribe and until next time cheers yeah yeah